0: Grace is God's unmerited favor for us. It is crazy love. And the truth is, many times we struggle with understanding. If you find yourself struggling to understand God's grace, don't beat yourself up. Even the disciples struggle with understanding grace. Jesus sent you, you're alive, I can't believe you're alive Okay, I was at the ball, and I wasn't catching any fish, okay But I heard this voice, and the voice said, cast your net to the other side And so I'm thinking, I'm a fish of my own, I'm good, but I'm not catching any fish, you know And so I throw that net over there, and then I'll of the fish, pop up into that net And I'm going, this is a total miracle, who could have done that I need to know, who told me to throw the net to the other side And boom, I look up, and I mean, there is you, you're looking at me on the seashore And going, it is I, the Lord, and you're get out of the boat. Come on, Peter. Peter. Yeah. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. I love you. This is so okay. great. Hey. Feed my sheep. Andrew, get out of the boat. Come on, man. It's him. Peter. Yeah. Do you love me? I love you. Yes. And I'm so sorry about that rooster And I have no idea what that man I did. i <laughs> oh, to feed my sheep. Andrew, I'm smiling, but I'm serious. Come on, get out of the boat. It's here. Peter. Yeah. Do you love me? Words cannot describe the passion that I have for you. I love you, you know everything. I love you. Good, good. Then feed my sheep. I need million livestock. I so like you, though. There's something new about you all the time. That's what I love about you here. Yeah. You remember uh, the morning the ladies went to the tomb? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're all in the room trying to figure out what to do next, you know, because we thought you were dead. You know, you were dead, you know. We're trying to figure all that out, you know. And Mary comes running up, and Mary's like saying, Be I, be I, be I. And I'm thinking, I'm allergic to bees, like, keep them out, you know what I'm saying? And as she kept getting closer, I remember correctly, she was saying, He's alive, He's alive, He's alive. You're well, who's alive, who's alive? And she said, She was at the tomb, and the tomb was empty, and she said that the, there was an angel there, and the angel said, Go tell the disciples and Peter that everything is okay, it is is risen. And so, me and John, we hired it down there, and if John says he beat me, be Holy line, all right? I'd be hitting, FYI, all right, you know? But we get down there and I'm looking at that and there it is. It is empty. There's nothing in there, you know what I'm saying? And I'm like, what does this mean? What does this mean? And John is right there. John is so good at words. He should write a book. He is so good at words. And John said, do you fear, Peter? This is everything Jesus said he was going to do. And you did it. If it's done. Let's go said, "What? Uh, go tell the disciples of Peter That everything is okay He is risen, you've risen, let's go he he said go. Said what? go tell the disciples of Peter Go tell the disciples of Peter You said no reason Why would you say no reason? grace. No, no, I don't don't deserve that because that night people kept coming up to me asking me if I belonged to you, if I was with you, and I kept denying you loved and right, all right? You know, it will take me my whole life to make up for what I did. It was unforgivable for what I did. What I did on the cross was meant to take what is unforgivable and make it forgivable. That's my grace. It's not about you. It's always about me. That's grace.
1: to tell the disciples and Peter. Can you imagine what Peter felt like that day? Standing on the seashore face to face with Jesus, knowing that just a short time before that, that he had completely denied Jesus, that he had abandoned him and walked away from him, had rejected even knowing who he was. And he stands there and he looks into the face of Jesus. And what does Jesus do? He shows love. He demonstrates forgiveness. He shows grace. Peter deserved rejection and abandonment. Just like he had given to Jesus. But Jesus turns around and says that he loves him. He restores him. He gave grace. See, it's your story and my story too. There's a lot of things we deserve and most of them that you can think about are not good things. But no matter what we've done, no matter where we've been, no matter how many times we've rejected God, He continues to extend grace. He still loves us. He still invites us into a relationship with Him, and He made it possible through the cross. He loves us so much that He paid the penalty for our sin, so that we could have a right relationship with Him. Well, good morning, I'm so glad that you guys are here today at TBA. Um, if you're new this morning, my name is Brian Beck, and I'm part of our lead pastor team. We're just excited to be here and be a part of what God's doing and saying to us. Over these last four weeks, we've been exploring this topic of grace. And you know, as I think about grace, it's one of those topics where I feel like the more I understand about it, the less I really understand about it. You know how you get into some of those things It's like you study more, you, you know more about it, you get more information, you collect stuff, but you just don't get it. It's hard to comprehend. It's hard to, to process logically because it goes against our understanding. I mean, we can explain it. We can define it. We can probably even give examples of it, paint pictures of what grace looks like. But the deeper we dig into this concept of grace, the more we realize how undeserving we are and yet how lavishly God has poured out His love and grace in our lives. And the thing is, we don't just experience God's grace one time. Of course, there's that There's that one moment where you accept this free gift of grace. And you confess your sins and you invite him into your life. And it's the salvation experience to cross the line kind of moment. And that's wonderful. And that's the beginning of the experience. But see, even after Christ's righteousness is on us and God sees us as perfect because he sees Jesus. Even after Jesus has taken the penalty for our sins. The reality is we're still human. We're still broken. We're still fallen. We're still sinful every day we struggle, daily with sound. See, I would describe it kind of like this. It's kind of like you you get into the car and you program your destination into the GPS and we're heaven bound. We know exactly where we're going. It's got the map all laid out before us. We know how to get there. But what we don't know is what kind of twists and turns are we going to hit on the journey. Because with any long trip, you put in the destination and, okay, so now I know how to get there, but, you know, as you drive along, sometimes there's beautiful scenery that you just enjoy. Sometimes it's smooth sailing. But then there's other times that you hit road construction, or you come up on an accident, or you have a detour, or you end up with a flat tire, or you have engine problems. And every time we experience one of those obstacles along the way, we need a fresh experience of God's grace. And it's kind of like when the GPS does that cool little thing, most of you have those fancy voices. I've got my, like, the British-Australian woman or whatever, and it comes up and tells me it's recalculating, and I am might even try to do the accent because I can't pull it off. But you get off path and your GPS will know to come back over here. And that's what a fresh experience of God's grace looks like. See, a flat tire or engine problems aren't going to change our destination, but it's going to require some attention from us along the way. In just a few weeks, they get to travel with a big group of our students and leaders to Kentucky, and they're going up for their summer camp, and it's a missions camp, to a place called Big Creek, and they're going to be serving in the Appalachian Mountains doing all kinds of different things. But when you think about that trip, from here to Kentucky, it's over 800 miles to kids I don't know what the exact mileage is, but somewhere between 800 and 900 miles. Now think about it for just a minute. My job going up is to pull a trailer with all of the luggage that the kids are taking. So we're going to have about three tons of clothing that are going with 72 adults and youth that are going up to Big Creek. If I leave the TVA parking lot with a flat tire, how do you think that's going to go? Not very well, right? I mean, I might make it to Kentucky, but probably not within the week of camp. And the damage that happens to my truck, ooh, that's going to be ugly by the time we make it that far. So why is it that so many of us approach our relationship with Christ like that? It's like we're driving to heaven with a flat tire. In fact, I would say most of us don't even realize we have a flat tire. It's kind of, we're one of those people going down the road and you know how people are like pulling up beside you and they're honking their horn and they're pointing. And you're like, what did I do? What's up with the road rage this morning? I didn't even do anything to anybody. And they're trying to point out to you that you've got a flat tire and you're running down the highway. You don't even realize it. A couple weeks ago, Stanley told a story about a lady that had lived in poverty all her life. And she had no idea that it hung and framed on her wall was the last will and testament of her former employer who was rich, and he had left everything to her. And she's had this on her wall for years, living in poverty, when in reality she's the owner of this sprawling estate and all of these riches, and has no idea. Rich beyond measure, but living, dirt poor. What if that's us? What if that's our story? What if we're rich beyond measure, but living, dirt poor? You see, I think that's what I'm beginning to learn about God's grace. How rich I am, how blessed I am, how I'm loved extravagantly by God. I don't deserve anything, and yet God has freely poured out his grace on me in so many ways, over and over and over and over. But do I see it? Do I ever pause to just take it in? Do I live like someone who's loved extravagantly and has been rescued from imminent destruction? Or do I live poor? barely scraping by. See, I'd like to tell you that I live richly blessed by God's grace. And most of you probably think, well, that's what he's supposed to tell us. I mean, you know, I am the pastor. I'm up here teaching you about this relationship with Christ thing. And I, I'm supposed to be able to describe this experience of grace to you, right? But see, if I'm really honest, most of the time, I feel like I'm still discovering God's grace for the very first time. And there have been many times that I've really just kind of beat myself up over that. I mean, why don't I get this better? Why don't I understand more about it? How in the world am I supposed to teach other people if I don't even get this? You see, I'm starting to understand it a little differently. What if that's the whole point? What if that's the whole point? What if grace is something that I'm supposed to discover over and over and over? What if it's something I have to experience daily in order to truly live it? Lamentations 3 tells us that His mercies or His grace are new. They're fresh every single morning. Each day brings with it the new possibility of, of discovery of who God is and how He loves us and how He's pouring His grace out in our lives. I think that is the whole point. See, when we become aware of His grace in our lives, when we start to pay attention to what God's doing and how He's speaking to us, we begin to discover new aspects of His grace. We're no longer driving on a flat tire. Go back to the video for a moment. Put yourself in Peter's shoes again. Think about the experience he's had. All the time that he's walked with Jesus, all the time that he's seen what Jesus has done, he's experienced grace over and over again. He's experienced Jesus pouring out love, serving those around him. He's seen it over and over. But yet he needs that fresh experience with Jesus. It's important that Jesus turns to him and has to remind him, it's not about you, Peter. It's about me. It's about me pouring my grace out on you. See, this gift of grace has nothing to do with your behavior or your choices or even the condition of your heart. It's a free gift that depends solely on God and His extravagant love for us. All we do is receive the gift. And you and I need to experience God's grace over and over. We need to be reminded on a regular basis of how loved we are and how we can pour that love out on others. Colossians 2, 6 and 7 says it like this. And now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow Him. Let your roots grow down into Him, and let your lives be built on Him, and then your faith will grow strong in the truth that you were taught, and you will overflow with thankfulness. We receive God's free gift of grace, and then we follow Him. We become a disciple. And how do we do that? We have to allow our roots to grow down into Him and build our lives on His foundation, the example that He has set, so that we can overflow with thankfulness. Or, I think you could just as easily say, so that we will overflow with His grace. Jesus' last command to us was to go into all the world and make disciples. What exactly did he mean by that? Go and teach everybody to follow the rules? Go and help them to meet all of the expectations so that we can be Christians? See, I live like that a lot of times, but I don't think that's what Jesus expects. Think about his time with his disciples. How did he teach them? He loved them. He did life with them. He laughed with them. He modeled and demonstrated grace over and over. His time with his disciples was never about rules or expectations or even achievements that they could accomplish. It was about a constant invitation to deeper and deeper relationship. I love the way the message phrases these same verses. It says this. My counsel for you is simple and straightforward. Just go ahead with what you've been given. You received Christ Jesus the Master. Now live him. Listen to those words. Now live him. You're deeply rooted in it. You're instructed well upon in morning You know your way around the faith. Now do what you've been taught. School's out. Put studying the subject and start living it. And let your living spill over into Thanksgiving. You've received Jesus, you've experienced his grace. Now live that out. Live out that experience and let your living spill over into Thanksgiving. I think that's what making disciples really looks like. It's living it out and allowing the grace that's been poured into our lives to spill over into the lives of others around us. And it's still not about us. You seem to get that confused all the time. The only way we can minister grace to the world around us and help them to experience Jesus is to constantly be filled to overflowing. So that the gift of His grace overflows to those around us. So I have to wonder this morning, after we've been through four weeks of this journey talking about grace and we've explored all these different aspects of it. How are you doing with that? How are you doing in living in God's grace? Is it still one of those lofty concepts that's hard to grasp, hard to understand, much less live out? Or are you resting in it? See, I think the problem for most of us is that we have a distorted identity. We don't live as sons and daughters of God. We would say that we are, we know we are, we can quote the scriptures that talk about being adopted into God's family and how we've been made sons and daughters, but we don't live like that, do we? Think about it, in a healthy family, a child doesn't have to do anything to prove themselves. They don't have to do anything to find value in the family. They're valued because they're a son or a daughter. A parent's love goes beyond any understanding or reason. We love our kids no matter what. There's nothing that our children can do that would make us stop loving them. I've got three beautiful girls. I love them dearly. They're precious. They're, they're wonderful. I'm blessed. I'm a very rich man. Sometimes I don't even realize how rich. But even as wonderful as my to be girls are, if you're a parent, you understand this. There are moments where your kids can get under your skin faster than anybody else. Right? They're still great kids, but there's those moments. And here's the crazy thing. Even in those moments when I've lost it, steam's blowing out of my ears and I'm frustrated and I don't know what to do in the moment, even in those moments, I will never, ever stop loving my girls. No matter how frustrated they may have made me, no matter what I'm dealing with, no matter what decisions they could have made, I still love them. It's amazing how being a parent has given me more insight into God's love than anything else. Because we talk about His love being unconditional, sacrificial, all those things, and most of the time the reality is, I don't get that supposed to be living as a son, but the reality is most of the time I live more like an employee. And not even a good employee. I live like one of those employees that's like hanging on by a thread, where one more little accident or mistake, and I'm toast. Done. Can you relate? God's grace in my life has demonstrated in his extravagant Unconditional love for me. It's the Romans eight passage that I read to you a few weeks ago about how nothing can separate us from God's love. So why don't I live like I'm loved and extravagant? I can tell you why. It's because my identity is often distorted. I read God's truth that tells me about grace being the undeserved, unmerited, unearned love of God, and yet I work like crazy so that I might feel like I deserve it so that I can earn just a little bit. And most of the time I'm working so hard at earning God's love that I don't even notice when He's pouring His love and grace out all over me. I'm oblivious to it because I make it about me instead of making it about Him. A couple of weeks ago, I left town for three days on a, a short sabbatical. It's something that our coaches have been encouraging us to do and our ministry directors have been talking to us about. So Something that our our lead team is starting to do a couple times a year where we just get away for three days. and You're going to hear more about that word over our next series. We're getting ready to move into a series on Sabbath as we walk into the summer. But, But basically, it's just a very simple way to say that I went away to rest a little while and spend some time with God. Now, this was my first experience, and I'll tell you, it was not easy. When we first talked about it, I couldn't wait. I was excited. In fact, I was pumped. I mean, three days of nothing no expectations, no projects, no anything, just to be able to rest and spend time with God, I'm in. I'm all over it. And then it got a little closer. And I began to think about three days with nothing. And I felt a little anxiety. See, I'm one of those people that's always on the run. Always got another project to do, another thing I want to be involved in. I'm always doing something. My wife swears that. I never sit out. Don't know how to relax. And now we're talking about three days of nothing. I mean, literally nothing. No TV, no internet, no projects, no meetings, no family events, nothing. I arrived on a Sunday evening. This is over in Lake Wales at this little small campground, a little cabin. It's a place that's designed specifically for this kind of Christian retreat. It's quiet. It's away from most of civilization. It's quiet. There's not much to do. But I mentioned it's really quiet. You know, there's nothing in my life that's quiet. I live with all women. No offense. But there's nothing in my life quiet. And you may laugh at this, but I'm being serious. Suddenly you can hear a moment where literally fear set in. I'm talking about I was afraid. Not like look over your shoulder, somebody's chasing you kind of afraid, but like this deep, unsettling kind of feeling of, I'm not okay with this. I don't like this quietness, this stillness. The only way I could describe it would be kind of like when you go away to camp for the first time as a kid and you feel homesick. You know, if you want all the comforts of home, all the things that are your normal, everyday routine kind of stuff, and you can't have it. I just needed some noise and craziness, and it was quiet. I'll try to give you the short version of the day, and maybe I can share some more later, but in a nutshell, here's what I discovered in these three days. I tend to live my life so fast and furious that I rarely pause long enough to notice God's grace in my life. I rarely stop to realize how loved I am. I work so hard at following the rules and meeting the expectations of God and everybody else, which... By the way, are most of my misconceptions that this is grace? I went into a three-day sabbatical designed to recenter me in God's grace and understanding of His love, and I was basically oblivious to His grace all around. Numerous times over the three days, it was like God spoke to me the same way we heard in the video this morning. It's not about you; it's about me and my grace. Group. I felt kind of like Peter, who was repeating what the angel said to Mary. He for me, it was, go tell TBA and Brian. Go tell TBA and Brian. You see, for me, it's pretty easy to step back and listen or hear what God was saying to somebody else. What's he saying to our church? What's he saying to you? What's he saying to my family? But in this moment, he was speaking to me. And he was saying, I brought you here to this moment, to this place, so that you could rest and enjoy my presence. This is for you, because I love you. If you know me at all, man, nature is my happy place. And this is a place that's in nature. I mean, literally, it was away from everything. I was listening to the birds chirping and seeing the squirrels run around in the trees and taking walks in the woods, and there's a beautiful lake there, and you see the the waves ripple across. I sat one morning and watched these two owls that flew up in front of me and just interacted. It was my happy place. But in the midst of all that, the whole time that God's speaking these things to my heart, I'm wrestling with guilt and anxiety because I'm not doing anything for it. See, far too often in life I make it about me. While your circumstances may be different, while your story may sound a little different, the things that affect you, the truth is, I would say, you probably do the same thing. We believe the lies of the enemy and we allow our own thoughts to betray us. We begin to believe we have to earn God's grace. We're only loved if we behave well or meet the expectations. And when we're believing those lies, we can never carry God's grace to others the way He's designed us to do See, we forget the truths that God tells us about our identity. Like what it says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, for we are God's masterpiece. He's created us to do in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things that He planned for us long ago. If I'm God's masterpiece, don't you think that He wants good things for me? Don't you think that He wants me to enjoy life and breathe in all that He's blessed me with? Shouldn't I be able to just sit back and relax and enjoy His creation for three days? Three simple days? By the end of day two, I was doing a little better. But it took some time to detox and to realize how many lives of the enemy that I was believing in my own heart. And what about you? Do you recognize that you're God's masterpiece? Do you take time to see how he's pouring his grace out all over you? You take a moment just to be thankful for all his blessings, even amidst the struggles you may be facing. A few months back, started made this statement in a message he gave. He says, don't expect more of yourself than God does. Man, that grabbed me. In fact, I wrote it down in a little sticky note in front of my Bible, and almost every time I open my Bible to look at something, that's right there, and I see it, and I'm reminded of that again. And I'm reminded that it's not about me, it's about him. See, if I'll just embrace His truth about me and choose each day to look for His grace, He will pour it out into me until I am overflowing. And that way everyone else around me can experience His grace as well. But those kinds of things don't just happen. It's not like the switch flips and all of a sudden I'm living in His grace and I get it and I can relax and rest and, and be good with it. It means that I have to literally change the way I think to rewire my brain. In fact, that's become one of my favorite verses. In scripture over this past year, Romans twelve two says, "Don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person. By what? By changing the way you think. Let God transform who you are by rewiring your brain by changing how you think, and then you'll learn to know God's will for you, which is good, pleasing, and perfect. See, if I'm going to truly embrace God's grace in my life and believe His truth about me, it starts." With me putting this verse into practice So several months ago I was listening to a message by a pastor Named Craig Rochelle He's a pastor of Life Church out of Oklahoma Most of you know him by his app The YouVersion app that you read Your little Bible plans on your phone Their church created that But he's got this reading plan out It came from a message that he had done I think it was like one of those New Year's messages And it was specifically on this one verse And he talked about how do we change the way we think And how does our negative thinking impact us And so he he leads you on this journey in this process of discovering the lies that the enemy speaks into your life and helping you to replace those things with the truth of God's word. And so I I spent three days in quiet time walking through that plan and listening to what he had to say. And he's got even a website that you can explore that kind of lists out some of the truths. and, And so I spent time writing down what are the lies that the enemy is speaking into my life? What are the things that I'm believing about me that aren't true? How am I going to replace those things with the truth of God's scripture? What are God's truths that I need to hear? So I created a document out of that, just stole his title, his title, his words to live by. And I took that and created a word document that has those things listed out. And I want to share a few things with you about that this morning. This is my document. It says, I'm God's masterpiece. He created me specifically for this moment in history. And he wired me and gifted me uniquely to accomplish his purposes and to bring him glory. It comes from Ephesians 2.10. I'm not defined by my successes or failures or any person's perception of me. I am defined by God's immeasurable love for me. He who knows me best loves me most. Psalm 139. I'm not a slave to fear. I will walk with boldness because my confidence comes from God. Galatians 4:7. Because of Christ living in me, I am patient and show self-control. Who's got this? Because of Christ living in me, I'm patient and I show self-control. I choose joy and I put my trust in God even when circumstances get tough and things don't go my way. If you know me very well, you know I'm a control freak. That one muscles with me. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. I love my wife and my girls unconditionally, unselfishly, sacrificially. I will lay down my life to serve and protect them. I will lead and empower them to love God with all their hearts and to serve boldly in His kingdom. From Ephesians 5.25 I fight every minute of every day for purity. I guard my eyes and my heart from any impure temptation. I honor my God and my wife in my pursuit of purity. Proverbs 4.23 I'm unashamed. The world and God's church will be better today because I walked in faith and served Jesus faithfully. Romans 1, 16. Now these are the truths for me. They're based on the lies that I identified in my life and I'm trying to replace those with God's truth. And I try every day to get up and read through that document I've created. I've printed it out. It's hanging above my desk, on the whiteboard in front of my desk. I've got it sitting on the end table of my house. And it's something that I try to do every morning because that's what changes the way we think when we reprogram our brain. And we put God's truth in place of the lies that we tend to believe. Now, your lies may be different. The truths that you need to hear may look different. But I would encourage you that you need to allow God to begin transforming who you are by Him changing the way you think. Here's how i to wrap up this morning. Don't limit God's grace to a one-time experience in your life. And don't miss out on his outpouring of grace because you've allowed the enemy to speak lies into your life. Let your roots grow down deep into God's love and build on the foundation of his truth for you. Experience his grace, live in his grace, and allow his grace to overflow from your life and to those around you. Too many times we make this idea of grace way too complicated. We put all of our own expectations on it, We put all of our own insecurities into it, and we wrestle through the idea and we never experienced it. Live in His grace. Don't expect more of yourself than God does. But because of His amazing love for you, live a life of obedience that honors Him. Would you stand? We're going to take a moment pray this morning. The band's going to play. And I would just encourage you, if you need to talk to somebody or, or pray with someone, come back to the Next Steps to see us. We'd love to talk with you. You can come while the bands play. You can come while the baptism's happening or after service, whenever it fits for you. but we'll come talk with to some of us pray with you. We'd love to help you take your next step. Let's pray. God, thank you for your amazing love. Thank you for your grace that has poured out in our lives in so many different ways. God, I thank you that you love me enough that sometimes you just make me stop so that you can speak to me and grab my attention. God, I pray the same for all of us, that whatever it is that keeps us from your truth and keeps us from understanding your grace, that, that you would help us remove those obstacles and just take some time to sit at your feet and then to rest and enjoy the relationship and to hear from you. God, in these next few moments, as we take time to sing, as we take time to just reflect on what you said to us today, help us to have open hearts for what you may be wanting to do. We love you. We offer all this time to you. In the name we pray. Amen.